You're listening to the official podcast of Church Untitled, located in downtown Vancouver. We are a community set apart to bear His name, in our city, for His glory. We hope that you're blessed and enriched by this message. So I've been here for a couple days. Um, it's been great. I'm losing my voice. Uh, that's, that's called preacher's pure puberty. Um, I'm, my voice is going to crack all the way through this little bit here. Uh, but it's so good to see you all. A, a lot of you um, I've met, but I haven't met you know, all of you. I came here last time, and you were all sitting in little restaurant booths uh, here in front, and you've, you've torn the, the, the seats out and uh, made room for some more people. I think that's wonderful. Um, it's been a great trip so far. Of course, my, my family, my wife's family, I'm the wild seed grafted into the vine, if you know that language, but my whole, my family's here, my wife's family all over the region uh, in churches. It's been a great trip. Um, in Denver, Colorado, we're, we're having some incredible moves of God in our state for the first time in a long time. It's, it's really a wonderful season. My church is in a, a 21-day prayer and fasting it's very difficult to fast when you're traveling and speaking. And so I asked the Lord for a dispensation of grace when I got on the plane. And I, and I, I told everybody this this morning, but I got on the plane and I was eating a salad on my way to the plane, praying that God would help me. When I got off the plane, uh, my wife and my friends all went someplace real quick with the luggage. And I, somehow there was, a, there was a Tim Hortons across the, the way. And, and at first I thought it was a demonic attack. And I, I found my way over there, and I found a, a sour cream glazed old-fashioned donut. And when my wife walked out, you know, she married the man of God. And here I was with a donut in my mouth. And I said, babe, I said, babe, you might think that, that I'm failing, but this is what you call breakthrough. And uh, the fast has worked. The Lord lifted it and said the work is done, and we don't live under works. And so now for those of you who think that perhaps... That, that this is not how God works. We're, we're, we're walking right outside the door here. And, and uh, we went, donuts are so, sort of the theme of my last 24 hours. There's a, donut, there's a donut shop down the street here. And yeah, we went down there and there's this, this great young man behind the counter. There's like eight of us, six of us, however many are here. I said, hey, and we're, we're all ordering donuts. And then he said, well, you know, if you buy this one, I'll give you two for the price of one. And I said, well, then that's the Lord too, because I pray for deals. That's the Filipino side of me. I pray for deals. And uh, come on, come on. Call me Puya. I'm your uncle now. Okay, so the Filipinos. Okay, I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna leave. People are gonna start bringing me food. That's what. Whenever you preach with Filipinos, they start bringing you food at the end to take home with you, which I'm okay with. So I got the donuts. I got I got these donuts, and we're all saying we have all these donuts now, way more than we ever wanted or needed. And, and literally, this, so I, I look at the guy, and I pull out my credit card, and I hand it to him, and he's like messing with his machine, and he just looks at all these donuts, and he goes, gosh, you know what? He goes, I just want you to have all your donuts for free. And I said, favor ain't fair. It's just favor. Don't tell me that this fast. Don't. don't. Jesus is already moving. I went from one donut to 20 donuts, and the Lord gave them to us for free. I don't know why you're fasting. I know what I'm fasting for. Uh, this is usually how I start. I love you. Um, it's, been, it's been great. What I, what I want to do tonight is um, I, I want to 
go to a portion of Scripture tonight. Does anyone here love the Bible? you got to love the Bible. The Bible is a lifelong journey. The Bible is not an event. It's not a moment. It's a lifelong journey. Um, you know, I taught, in, I taught in a Bible college for 15 years, went to seminary, did all of that. When I was young, I thought I knew, you know, everything, but I knew nothing. And um, as, you, as you get a little older, you realize that a lot of the things that you do in the beginning just teach you that you, you're trying to learn how to learn, right? And you learn how to learn so that you can experience the scriptures for the rest of your life. And the more tools that you have, the more revelation that you can, you can find pathways to. And it's an incredible experience. Tonight, I want you to turn your Bibles, if you will, to, Acts, to the book of Acts chapter 12. I did a little of this this morning. But in our church, during our prayer and fasting, I'm praying for freedom. Now, when I say freedom, you know, a lot of Bible words can become really Christianese in, in sometimes. And you, we overuse them and we turn them into series and then we print them as a book and, and it kind of, they, they lose something. We don't want anything that's Bible to ever become boring or Christianese or lose its meaning. And when we talk about freedom in the scripture, there's a couple of different, there's a couple of different categories to freedom. You know, there's, there's physical healing. And with the woman at the well, of course, she experienced all of it, uh, physical, mental, emotional healing. Um, and and uh, same with the woman who touched the, the hem of Jesus's garment, physical healing, emotional healing. We understand that. But, but there is a, a theme in the New Testament where freedom is almost, almost exclusively used in the context of being free from religion. Because it's religion that was the context for the gospel. It was religion and religious persecution that was the context for what Jesus was doing. Now, he wasn't doing it to divide. You know, when Jesus first came, it looked like he was bringing division, but what the division ultimately would become an invitation because he wasn't really dividing. He was simply setting the stage to expose religion, right? So when John the Baptist is in the river and he's talking to the Pharisees, he says the root has already been laid to the uh, axe has already been laid to the root of the tree. And every branch that does not produce good fruit will be thrown into the fire. And he, of course, he was talking about hypocrisy. And that the axe, when Jesus came, he, he was the axe at the root of the tree. And Jesus deals with this religion thing. Now, in the book of Acts, as you move through the book of Acts, which is a wonderful book. Everyone should read the book of Acts. Has, does anyone like the book of Acts? It has some incredible stories in it. Um, when you have the, the Gospels are phenomenal. Of course, nothing replaces the Gospels. But the book of Acts actually is connected to the Gospels in a special way. Many of you probably know this, you may not. But the book of Acts was actually part two of the Gospel of Luke. The book of Acts was written by Luke. Both the Gospel and the book itself are addressed to the same person. In the first, in the first Gospel, it says, O Theophilus, this is for you. I'm going to give you an account of what happened. And he addresses them with an official greeting. In the book of Acts, he just says, Hey, Theo. So they're building a relationship, part one and part two. They were separated in the first century to put the Gospels together, and the book of Acts became a standalone kind of historical narrative of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's role in removing religion from the heart of the people. So you have these two books that go together. Jesus goes into the grave, comes out of the grave in the Gospels, but it's not until the book of Acts in chapter one that we see his ascension. So when you read in the Gospels about, about Jesus going to the grave, and just remember, you don't get to read the ascension until you get to Acts chapter one, not really. 
says that he ascended. So it completes in the book of Acts. And from that moment, all the way through about Acts chapter 16, the church is birthed, religion is challenged, the persecution begins. And here in Acts chapter 12, you have the peak of the persecution. And what I'm gonna do tonight is I'm gonna start in verse one of chapter 12, and I'm just gonna read, because this is sort of a, a devotional time for me in my life. Um, this is a story about freedom. Uh, I've been praying a lot about what freedom is in the church and how it's presented in the church and, and what it means to people. I've, I've learned in the last probably two years of ministry, and I'll keep in mind, I'm almost 51 years old, and I know that I look as, as young as Pastor Craig in low light at about 100 feet, but I don't have 100 feet right now. Um, and so, but what I've learned is that that the, the presentation of what Jesus did or the work of the church, the work of the Holy Spirit, does not have to be force-fed. And it, 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 whatever level that it comes out, however people receive it, the Holy Spirit anoints it at that place. So I've actually started, though I, I can be really loud and boisterous, and, you know, and I love to run around a little bit, but, but I've, I'm learning that, that to relax in the story causes people to relax in the reception of it, which causes them then to actually receive some things a little easier. Have you ever noticed that when you're really tense, it's hard to receive anything? Do you know what I mean? Has anyone ever, we, we have a, a thing called the Department of Motor Vehicles. Do you have that here? It, the, what is it? The ICBC. Is it the same as ours? Probably, huh? Yeah, we should pray for them too. <laughs> Yeah, when I walk in there, when I walk in there, my heart rate goes up, my hair falls out, and I start praying to Jesus to extend my life. But it's hard to have even a conversation when things are elevated. So what I've done is I've really gone to some exegetical stuff. Now, I know I'm just kind of rabbit trailing here, but I want to start in verse one, and I just want to read to you, and I want you to read along with me if you have a Bible or on the screen, however you guys do it. And let's talk about Peter and his prison experience when God set him free from something. So let's start in verse one, and I'm just gonna read and talk. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. Now, when he says this time, again, the persecution is at its peak right now. Stephen has already been killed. The church is beginning to explode because when Stephen was martyred, now you may not know the story, but Stephen was, one of the, was the first Christian to be martyred in scripture. And when he died, all the other Christians ran for their life. It's called the diaspora. They just ran because the persecution is coming. So they ran. But what they would discover is that what you run from handled correctly will become what other people run to. In other words, the thing that you're running from, that religion, when you're set free from it, when it becomes your testimony, people run into, what it, into that same message. So they actually ran from Stephen and started churches all over the known world, but they started those churches out of persecution. So it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James. James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when they saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to grab a hold of Peter also. And so James, the brother of John, they were called the sons of thunder, these two brothers. James was the pastor in Jerusalem, and he became a really great man of God. Um, even after Paul left and went on his journey and got saved, 
Paul became the great apostle, but he was a man under authority. He always understood that. If you look in scripture, Paul always went back and reported back to James, even though he didn't need to, just because positionally, James was his, his authority. But James was now dead. And now, then you fast forward, you've got the gate called Beautiful. You've got um, all of the, the different, the local church growing. You get into Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 11, now the persecution is rising because the church is growing. More freedom is coming into people's lives. And it's spreading at, at such a rate that no one can stop it. So whenever freedom is unleashed, persecution is unleashed because religion always persecutes freedom. And so inside of even your own heart tonight, there may be something inside of you where you feel guilt, where you feel shame. There are church people in here. There's also people who've never been to church in their life. And this might be your first congregation, your first community. But there are things inside of you where you feel guilt and you feel shame and you feel like you're not good enough. And there, there's a guy on our team um, who's been a, been a leader for a long time. Uh, and not too long ago, none of us knew he hadn't been baptized. He wasn't baptized. So he came to us just a few weeks ago and he, he said, look, I, something I got to tell you. I said, what? He goes, I've never been baptized. I said, wait a minute. I said, you were one of the most gifted young men that I've ever met in my life. You're changing the church. You're growing the church. You're, you're doing things that we can't do. You're an amazing young man. He says, yeah, but I've never felt good enough my whole life. Because even in the middle of, of, of working through the gift of God that God gave me, because how many of you know the gifts of God are given without repentance? If you can sing, you can sing. If you can dance, you know, like Ryan, then, then you can dance. If, if, you can do, if you can do math, you can do math. God, doesn't, God gave you those gifts. And so somebody can be working inside their gift, and all their gift does is mask what is really happening on the inside. I'm telling you, that's why so many people that are in the pulpit end up falling morally uh, over time. So many of my heroes have fallen morally. So many of the people that I know that I've preached with and prayed with and cried with, so many of them have, have had these huge moral failures in their life, but it's because their gift was so strong that it masked what the heart of the child was actually going through. You see, the thing with a child is you can look at a child and you can, you can see the child. If, if you've ever had children, how many of you know they don't, they don't hide anything? Right, especially if they're a boy and they're hungry. Come on, somebody, right? Boys don't, hungry. My, my son, when he was little, we would feed him. And as he would take a bite, as the spoon was leaving his mouth, he would go from happy to hysterical and scream. As the, the spoon was leaving his mouth, he'd be like, Hello! until the next spoon. My wife would just go as fast as she could just to keep him from, just go, baby, go. Just keep going, keep going. As they get a little older, children don't mask anything. The Bible says that we're all his children. As we grow, there is still a childlike ex uh, experience, something inside of us before the Father. And that child is, is masked and covered and hidden by the outer exterior and the experiences that we have and our giftings and our titles and all of our stuff. We put it on, but the child can be broken. The child can be hungry. The child can be thirsty. The child can be, can be just re wanting the love of God or the love of the Father, but what's out here won't let it happen, right? So, so what we've got to do is, is that when we look at Scripture and we see this kind of a persecution, there, here's, I see, I just rabbit trailed. Little rabbit went this way. It's coming back. <laughs> Come back, child. And so they, they, seize, they seize these guys and... 
Persecution now is, persecution is chasing freedom. Persecution and religion is trying to suppress what's free. So for you tonight, if you're experiencing guilt and shame, I want you to know that no matter how deep inside of you that may be buried, the metaphor is a prison. And so wherever that child is, wherever that thing, that, that, that person that's hurting is inside of you, whatever prison that they're in, God will provide a way out of that. All right, so, so they, he says, hey, we're going to, we killed James, now we're going to take Peter. Because if they got so excited that we killed James, they're going to be really excited that we killed Peter. I mean, this is the apostle Peter. And everyone knows now, if, you, if you're going to put a, an apostle in jail, you better be prepared. Because when the apostles go to jail, things start happening. Right? It started when Jesus went into his prison called the cave. And the, the guards on the outside felt the earthquake. You hear what I'm saying? And so now everybody who's kind of dealing with Christians is like, I'll tell you what, if I get a hold of Peter, I'm going to put him in so many chains, Jesus can't get to him. I'm gonna, when I put these guys in prison, I'm going to put them in so deep. Their, their prison is going to be so deep in the darkest place, hidden away, Jesus can't even find them. God can't get to them in the prison that I'm going to. See, and this is, this is the language this is the language of the culture. Did you know that God can get to you wherever you are? And this, this, is, this, is, what, this is what he does. Look what happens here. It says, it says that he grabbed Peter also, and this happened during the festival. And after they arrested him, they put him in the prison, and they handed him over uh, to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers. Now, four squads of four soldiers means there are four watches during the night. It took 16 soldiers to watch him all night. And so now we have this picture of being held in the prison in the darkest hours of the night. Listen, in all transparency, has anyone here ever had a really bad day? I mean, a bad year? Anybody ever had a bad year? Okay, have you ever had a bad year? Have you ever just woken up and said, what the heck was that year about? And why, why, why am I here? Right? I'm telling you, the enemy wants to come along and put you in this little dark. When, when, when the enemy puts God's children, God's people in their prison, he needs to be really careful. Because it, if it's Paul and Silas, there's another earthquake and then all the guards get saved. All the people get saved. In every prison in scripture, there's three, there are three aspects to it. There are guards, there are chains, and there's a gate. There's a door on the way out. And God deals with all three of them in this story. The guards, the gate, and the, and the, uh, and the chains. So he's got 16 guards on him. And Herod intended to bring him out, right? There's 16 guards on this guy. Now watch this. The, the reason why this is so important and why I wanted to pray for the pastors tonight is because of this verse right here, verse five. Verse five gives us the cornerstone of what we call um, the theology of prayer for the church. Because it says when the church prays, things happen. It's so important. Now look what it says. So Peter was kept in, in prison. And have you, if you just be really honest with me, have you ever, have you ever just been in, had such a horrible week, a horrible year, 
You're just sitting in a prison and you have no idea how you're going to get out. Who's been there? Come on. I have. I have. I'm the pastor. I've been through this three or four times. The first time I went through, I was like, I'm in the prison. There's 16 guards. Somebody lost the key. Jesus, where are you? Here I am. The darkest place in the middle of the night. There's no way out. See, here's what happens. It happens with bankruptcy. It happens with relationships. It happens in marriages that fall apart. It happens with physical healing. It happens if you happen to be a parent and you have children or grandchildren. When those children start to kind of go off somewhere and you're worried about them, when there are prayers in your life and you are so tired of praying them that you don't know how to pray it again, listen, there are things where I have prayed so, so, de- for so desperately and so hard and not seen anything come to pass. Now watch this. I don't lose my faith, but I resign my prayer to the sovereignty of God. And that's okay. Jesus, I've lost my voice praying. I don't have any other English words to pray. I can pray the same thing over again, no problem. So then I just start closing my eyes, crying, and I just make noises. Listen to me, and trust me, though, some of the most powerful prayers are in utterances, not words. Because there comes a point when words don't matter, words don't work, you have no more thoughts, nothing's changing, and you just sit there and you go, okay, God, it's up to you. I am in the position to receive whatever you want to do, but I've got nothing left. I just, I just need your strength to get through tomorrow. Man, I've had, I've had so many of these now through the years. I've had so many of these with my friends and my family, and I've watched this happen. But here's the caveat to how the kingdom of God works. If you can't pray, we can pray. If, if you can't pray anymore, we'll pray for you. The Bible says that the, Bible says that the church was praying to God for him. The church was interceding. It's a picture. This is why we should pray for people in church. Are you kidding me? People come into church all the time, completely hopeless, completely hopeless. You know, it amazes me. I never know who's coming into my church anymore. I remember when my church was like, was was about this size. We're a little bigger now, but this was massive revival for me. Like if my church was this full a few years ago, you would have found me laying in the middle of the street, weeping and crying because revival had broke out. And now it's like, I don't know who's coming in. Here's what happens when you don't know who's there. When you don't know who's there, you change your position as a leader from preaching to what you think the crowd needs to hear to preaching what the Spirit begins to speak because you don't know who's in the crowd. And and when you get into that level, all of a sudden, people, you want people to be set free and you become an intercessor. So this this is the perfect definition in Scripture of what intercession is. Intercession means to stand between two things and bring them together. And the Bible says that the church was praying to God for him. And so here's the church. Here's Peter. He's in his prison. Here's what needs to happen. And the church goes, okay, God, here we go. We're going to pray and we're going to believe. We're going to ask you to come. Now, I've, I, I'm telling you that when the church prays, I believe this with all of my heart. When we pray, the Holy Spirit begins to move. One of, the, one of the stories from our family, and I did share this this morning, a little bit redundant in here, but, but because it's family, when, when my wife, um, when she was about 12, how old were you, babe? 14? They're missionary kids. My, my wife's a missionary kid. And I mean like missionary kid. 
When I say missionary kid, I mean knows nothing about America or Canada or anything Western normal. I grew up in Canada. We get married. We sit down on our first Christmas, and we watch the movie White Christmas. I said, I said, babe, let's watch White Christmas. Let's, let's, let's watch. She goes, that sounds great. When did it come out? I said, like 900 years ago. They're all dead. It's, it's a classic. She's like, oh, I like those two. Missionary kid. Grew up on the mission field. She was born under the persecution of a man called Idi Amin. You, don't, you may not know who he is, but he's one of the worst dictators, murderers. They came to attack their church. Uh, my mother-in-law was nine months pregnant. She was supposed to be born. Soldiers came. They ran out of Kampala, went across the border into Nairobi, Kenya, and escaped the soldiers. And then the soldiers came in uh, the next week, and they shot the church up and martyred a few Christians. That's the atmosphere that my wife was born in. And so going to Africa in those days, hardcore missionary work, and it wasn't like it is today. There was no, there's not, like I can text Africa right now. Do you know how cool that is? Who are you texting? Africa, South Africa, East Africa, West Africa, Africa, all my friends. Back then it was like nine months to get a letter. And then you got it and five people had already read it. I'm like, who read my letter? Everybody read your letter, it's Africa. All right, malaria. Her mother-in-law gets sick. She's dying. So her mother, my mother-in-law gets sick. She's dying. She's going to die. She is going to die. It's over. They can't figure out what's wrong with her. Dad calls brother and sister into the living room and says, we're going to talk because mom's going to go to heaven. And unless there's a miracle, she's going to go. And it's time for us to face that reality. So as a 14-year-old girl, my wife is standing there at the realization that mom's not going to be here anymore. And they're going to go to the hospital and they're going to say goodbye because no one can figure out what's wrong with her. She just got back from the mission field. They can't, they can't diagnose it. Well, there's a, a pastor who was my father in the Lord. You, you won't know him, but his name is Wendell Smith. Pastor Wendell from a church in Seattle. Wendell was in our church. Then he was actually the youth pastor. And I, I ended up becoming the youth pastor after Pastor Wendell. But Pastor Wendell said, no, we're not going to do this. We're not, we're not putting up with this. this is the, the, we're not going to not pray. If they're going to pray to figure out how to say goodbye, we're just going to stand over here and pray to figure out how to get her out of, out of that spot. They've, they've, they don't have anything left, but we do. He calls a prayer meeting at the church. A few hundred people show up at the church at about 9 o'clock, and they start praying from 9 o'clock till midnight. And at midnight, without exaggeration, I, there's, everything happens at midnight. Midnight. In Scripture, there's even this thing called midnight theology. Midnight theology, is, you, you look at it starting with Moses and angels all the way into the New Testament, something starts at midnight because midnight represents something. Midnight represents the end of the old day and the beginning of the new day. It, be, it, it represents when everything was getting dark, it's the darkest place, and now everything begins to get light again. At midnight, Pastor Wendell stands up after the prayer meeting and says, we're going to pray for her. He goes, he goes, the Lord spoke to me, it's done, it's over, and she's going to be healed. Now, if you're going to stand up in front of a bunch of people who are losing a friend and you're going to say that, you better have heard from God. <laughs> what Pastor Wendell did not know is that in the hospital, there was another doctor who happened to be visiting that hospital, heard about her case, says, please let me see this woman before you give up on her. Walks in in the middle of the night, diagnoses her. She's an expert on malaria. The reason why they couldn't diagnose it is because she didn't have one form of malaria. 
She had two malarias at the same time. It was confusing the diagnosis. She immediately comes up with a way to save her. They give her medicine, and the next day she comes out of it, and they're standing after the midnight in the middle of a hospital room. I want to tell you something, that when you have given up, the church can still pray. I have to believe that, that Pastor Wendell Smith's prayers we're, we're moving heaven and doing spiritual warfare and keeping angels away from that woman's car yeah. to get her into the hospital at that moment. So I'm going to, to the, I'm going to pray to God for him and for her. And the church was praying while he was in prison. This is really important because we have to remember that we're praying for people while they're in their prison. In other words, we're not just praying that they get out of prison, then they come and do a video for us. You hear what I'm saying? Like you got to pray with them while they're in their prison. There has to be kind of a commitment to, to what the Holy Spirit is doing. Hey, you're going through it. Well, I'll tell you what, you just, you just, I'll pray for you now. Text me next month and tell me how it went. That is kind of how the church has fallen into this, this communication thing. When you pray with someone in their prison, they need you to keep praying with them until you get out of your prison. That's what relationship is. Man, relationships. Relationships with people in prison, it's not what we think it is. It means that we actually have to sacrifice a little bit. It means that it might inconvenience our time a little bit. We might have to go to an extra prayer meeting or go to the hospital with them, hang out with them, be with them, love, love, love them, and help them to know that God's still in it but we just want to pray for people and hope they get out of their prisons. We have to be praying with people while they're in their prisons so that we can build the community of Christ. That's what the community of Christ does. And we'll keep going. I'm slowing down. I shouldn't slow down. Here we go. Verse six. Uh, and so the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping in between two soldiers bound with two chains. Now check this out. He's already got 16 soldiers watching him. He's already in the back prison. So the enemies, Herod's going, well, I'll tell you what, we put 16 soldiers on him. God can't move. God can't get to him. Let's put a couple of other soldiers next to him. That makes 18 total. Jesus can't get through 18 guards. And let's chain him to two of the guards just for fun. Because these Christians have a habit of getting out of everything. So if they're going to get out, they got to take two guards with them. They're going to have to drag him all the, way, all the way out. And in the next verse, it says, and let's take all his clothes off and, and make him naked and embarrass him. And they did. So here he is sitting between two. So have you ever had a day where things go from bad to worse? Let's talk. Have you ever had one? Okay. Have you ever had a bill to pay and another one shows up? Or two? Maybe... <laughs> Have you ever had a relationship, a friendship where everything kind of goes south and, and you're, you're hurt? And then in, in the middle of it, you're, you're just over here going, gosh, um, I, I also am broke. I've been broke a lot. Anybody been broke before? So my friends are, are crazy and I'm broke and I don't have anyone to call and then I get the flu or something. I mean, I've had days where things go from bad to worse to worse. First, the enemy just watches you. 
then the enemy tries to trap you in your own thinking. He tries to get you into a dark place. And then he chains you to, chains you to something that you can't get free from. And I want to say this to you. If, you. if you want to get free from something that has you chained, the Bible says in uh, 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy, that you have to attach yourself to the only thing that can't be chained. The Bible says that they were in trouble, but the word of God, quote, cannot be changed. Chained. So if you want to get out of something, you have to attach yourself to something, the only thing that can't be chained, which is God's promises. God's promises have a way of moving you through your prisons. Now look, look what happens. Look what happens here. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between the guards and two chains, and suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Now, I want you to picture this. Peter's having a really bad day, but he's sleeping really well. Right? It's not like, hey, Pete, yeah. You know, hey, it's a bad day. I, I can barely sleep. Chains, guards. You know, I'm, uh, it's cold in here. I'm, I'm naked, humiliated. And no, the, the angel had to basically punch him to wake him up. So is it that he was empty or was it that he had peace? I, I, think, I, think, I think it's probably both, but the apostle had some peace. He's there and, and the angel comes along and, and struck him and said, get up. And he said, and the, and the chains fell off of Peter's wrists. Now, there's a difference between chains breaking, because that's what we pray for a lot, break the chains. I mean, there's a thousand old school vineyard songs about breaking chains. I brought up vineyard twice this week. Why is that? There must be a revival going on of the three-chord song. Amen. And um, so, so the chains breaking is not the same as chains falling off. See, there are sometimes again, you gotta fight for it, you gotta believe for it, you gotta push through it, and, and your wrists are chafed, and you're feeling the, the pain, the, what you have to go through. But when you give up and the chain is still there, that's when the church comes in. When you're fighting, you're praying for breaking, but when you're not getting breaking, the church begins to pray. What you thought you had to break just falls off. And you just wake up when you go, where'd the chains go? And you go, oh, the church is praying. See, sometimes you have, to, you have to break, but sometimes you rest in the peace and the promises of the Lord Jesus Christ and what you thought you had to break, you actually don't have to do anything at all except trust the Lord and they will fall off. They just fall off. What, where, where'd that problem go? Honestly, I have no idea. I have no idea. I was hungry and the guy gave me 30 free donuts. My hunger fell off. You don't think that's God, but my midnight is over, people. Oh, well, what do you mean fall off? And I understand we got to work through stuff, but listen, listen, there are some things that you've been fighting so hard to get out of, of your existence it might be time to take a big, deep breath, stop fighting, and let us start carrying. And what, what you have been trying to break off of, you might just fall off of you. Because you trust the Lord, you have peace, but the church is praying. So things just start to fall off. It's like, they're, just, they're, just, they're gone. Look what happens next. He says, uh, 
the chains fell off, and the angel said to him, put on some clothes. That's really good advice. <laughs> this, is, this is how practical God is. Gabriel, whichever angel it was, probably an archangel because there are only a, a few angelic visitations on earth. Most of those were with archangels. Gabriel, Mike, Gabriel, don't forget to tell him to put clothes on because he's naked and he's going to be outside in about 10 seconds. <laughs> Okay. See, so he goes, we, have, we got guards through the night, guards next to you, chained to the guards, back prison. He, they, he, they grab you, they accost you, they, they demoralize you. If I demoralize them, God can't move. If I chain them, God can't move. If I put 18 guards on them, God can't move. If I can get guilt and shame and condemnation to chain themselves to them, God can't move. The angel says, you need to put your clothes on because I'm taking you somewhere. So Peter gets up, puts his clothes on. He walks past the chains, the seemingly unbreakable limitation to his situation. He walks past the guards who were there and meant to keep him where he's supposed to be. I did some of this already this weekend, but I just have to say one thing is that there are some people in your life that unintentionally, because they don't understand the balance between the grace of Jesus and wanting to live a certain way in performance and expectation, they don't understand the power of religion that it has. What I want to say to you is that there are some people that might unintentionally want to keep you where you're at. And, and those that you thought might even be there to help you become guards that keep you where you're at. You have to surround yourself with people who relate to Jesus in the same revelation that you need him. If you try to relate to people through a revelation that you don't need, there's, there's no common spirit Relating to people through revelation, okay, let me put it like this. Relate to people who know Jesus and the power of the resurrection. Because the power of the resurrection is different than any other kind of, of relationship, and it's the Acts revelation. It's, it's the ascension of Christ. And, and, and I don't even know when the service ends. Where's the pastor? He left. Where are you, Pastor Ryan? I can't find you anywhere. Where did you go? His chains fell off. He's outside. Hopefully he's clothed with righteousness. He's clothed in righteousness. Thank the Lord. You, you have to relate to people who want to relate to him in the resurrection. Listen, I, don't know, I don't know how to say this enough. When you relate to people who relate to Jesus in the resurrection, it is a different kind of living. Because when, when, when Jesus came out of the ground, Acts chapter 1, he's hanging out. You read it in chapter 1. He says for 40 days, he kept coming and hanging out with disciples yeah. in a resurrected body. Yeah. Holes in his hands, holes in his side, head messed up from the crown of thorns. He just kept coming back for 40 days. The Bible doesn't tell us anything about those 40 days, what they talked about. But it says he just kept telling them about the kingdom of God. 
How'd you like to have a 40-day church, church growth seminar with Jesus in a resurrected body and all the disciples have got their act together because there's no more drama because before the resurrection, drama, after the resurrection, purpose, right? Right? No, no more, no more. They just said they're going to go change the world and they're all going to die. They're all going to get crucified and get their heads chopped off. Peter's going to be crucified upside down. How many of you know that when purpose comes, let's just stop the drama. Let's change the world. I'm only here for a few years. Let's get the job done. It just changes. And so what happens when you relate to people who relate through the resurrection, it's a different kind of existence because you can just you can just skip the drama and get right to the prison. Skip the drama. Let's go to my prison. Walk me out. I need some chains to fall off. So it's a different kind of, so you got the chains over here. You're walking past all the guards. Find yourself some people. Get rid of all those people. And then all of a sudden, the, the door just opens. The Bible says that he went through the gate. The gate, quote unquote, it opened on its own. The chains fell off by themselves. The guards just went into a Holy Spirit trance. You walked right past all the negative people, all the people who didn't like you, all the people who talked about you, all the people who, all, all the people that you hinted to them you needed prayer, but they're dense. They're spiritually dense. Like they love God, but they're dense. You, you're just like, you're doing everything, but like, like cr crying in their direction. They know it, but they can't get themselves to, to pray for you because they're too busy you just walked right by them, left them all on the side, and then you get to the gate. The, the last part, you get to the gate. The gate doesn't open. The, you can't get through the gate. And you're thinking, how do I open the door? You know, I, I, I can't get the door open, God. I can't get the door open. I thought I was there. I thought I, thought I, I, thought I was going to have a breakthrough. And then, and then God goes, did, did you take the chains off by yourself? And who dealt with the guards? And the door just goes, just like this. The Bible says that Peter walked outside and he woke up. He didn't even know what was going on. Uh, when God, and I've, I've really sincerely been trying, I'm almost done here. I've been trying to figure this out, how to describe this. But when God is working inside of you to bring you out of something and the church begins to pray. You go into kind of this, I don't know, you just kind of go, you just start going through the motions. He thought he was dreaming. You know, angel punches him. Did someone just punch me? Yeah, get up, put your clothes on. Okay. I know this is a dream. Some of you have been so discouraged about what has you chained, you don't even believe, like my friend, you don't even believe that God can get you out. You don't even believe it. You think it's a dream. You think this service tonight is a dream. It's just another service. This is what we do. It's church untitled. That's cool. They got pour overs. In Denver, that's full-blown revival, people. You have no idea. You see a pour over, I weep, I cry. Good coffee and donuts. It's like it's like old testament. Breakthrough, divide the let's go through on dry land. Okay, so you don't even believe it. 
how, how it's like, oh, God's, God's doing this. I had, I had people when I, was, when I was coming to the Lord, people would call me and tell me they were praying for me. And I'd be like, why? Why? I don't want to hang out with you. I don't want to, I don't want to be a Christian like you. And they would just, oh, it's okay, pa- that, Pastor Doug. That's okay, Doug. We're just praying for you. And when I was in high school, let's go all the way back to high school. I went to a youth group one time. They invited me to come play volleyball because that was like evangelistic back then. And I went into their youth room and they had photocopied a picture, my picture out of the yearbook, and my picture was on their prayer wall. And I walked in, I see my photograph, I'm like, oh my God, they're cannibals. They're gonna tr- I'm looking for the door, baby. I'm like, what in the world? What are you people? People are calling me in college. They're, they're praying for me. Fast, fast forward, I, I get saved. An incredible story, a visitation on Halloween night, 1989. I am I'm, I'm completely hammered, completely drunk, completely lost. Don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Contemplating suicide. And I had only seen one message, one real message on, on, on Christian TV from some guy named Casey Treat. You probably heard of him, right? Because I lived in Seattle, and, and uh, he's on TV all the time, you know? And, and I used to think he's a fake because he had this flaming red hair. He grew up in Alki. He grew, he grew up in Seattle, but he talked like this. I'm telling you right now, Jesus is going to come and, and, and take away all you. And I'm like, you grew up in Seattle. You fake. We used to watch him at parties and make fun of him. I'm not even joking. We'd drink beer and make fun of him and do his impersonations of him. One night, he's preaching on John chapter 1, and, and all the disciples, the disciples are following him down the river, and he turns around, and he goes, what do you want? And they're like, where are you staying, you know? And Jesus is like, you don't really mean that. Don't you follow me and, and find out. Let's, let's go. Kind of the unsaid conversation, right? I'm, I'm on Halloween night. I'm standing in the street, completely hammered, crying out to God. If there's a God, I hear the audible voice of God. In the middle of my drunken stupor, I, can, I, I, can't, I can't tell you this story. I can't go there. I can't do it. It's not enough time. I know, I know, I know, I know. This is church untitled. You guys have like four-hour services. I'm, I'm used to a clock in the back saying, stop! 23, 24, oh! It's my own church. <laughs> I, I was mugged, cut with broken beer bottles over 30 times on my body. My body is completely covered with scars from head to toe. Left in a driveway in the middle of Seattle on Halloween night. I cry out to God and I hear this message from a party from a red-headed fake preacher go through my spirit, and then I hear the audible voice of God, and he says, I just said, where are you? And he goes, why don't you follow me and find out? So I get up, saved, sober. I find my way to the ER. They, they take care of all my cuts and all my stuff but I don't even care. I'm saved. I don't have a church. What is that? I went to the Catholic church, told that story this morning. I went to the Catholic church because I didn't know, I didn't know anything. And I just did everything they did in the service. I didn't know what to do. They do so many things in the service. I got lost. (laughs) 
I totally did. I just picked a dude. I picked some dude on the stairs, and I said, I'm going to do whatever he does. <laughs> well, I can't, I did, not, even, no, not even exaggerating. He put his hand on the water, put my hand on the water. I was like, this is easy and, it, and refreshing. <laughs> when you get to the end of the pew, he, he kneels down. I'm like, we're going already. Let's go. <laughs> then he stands back up. Will you make up your mind? Let's go down the aisle now. They bit, he knelt down. I, I still don't know why they do that. And then they have all the prayers memorized. Like I'm supposed to know that. This is all true. I looked at him and I'm just, I'm just myself. I'm like, this is crazy. What's going on? And they're just like, so I just started speaking whatever came to my mind. And, and the guy heard me, but, but the guy's standing there. So I just started going, 12 beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Two all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, and a sesame seed bun. The guy turns to me, true. The guy turns to me like Tindy goes, you must be new here. <laughs> it's true. I said, yeah, man, I don't know what's going on. I'm actually from Portland. So I, I got in my car, I moved home and left, left everything. And I had my roommate, you know, my girlfriend. I had a girlfriend and I was just, I just, I got back to my apartment the next day and she's there like, what happened to you? I'm like, who are you? Do you want to know Jesus? She's like, no. I'm like, oh my gosh, you have to leave. And I packed my bags and I moved home. I don't know. I, I don't know what's going on. You hear what I say? I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. I'm just like, what in the world? I'm just, I'm just waking up. I, I think it's a dream. I don't really know. I think this is a dream because no one's ever going to love me. No one's ever going to care about me. No, I'm not gonna, I'm never gonna make it. I'm, I have nothing. I, I'm nobody. I'd already been homeless. But here I'm like, what in the world? I go home. I'm at my grandparents' house. I'm sleeping on their couch. I look out the window on my first Sunday morning and I see a car coming down the road and park and a guy gets out of the car. And I'm just sitting there. What am I gonna do with my life? I, I know Jesus. I feel different. Guy gets out of the car. It's my old best friend from high school. And he's the last person on the face of the earth I want to see. Because I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I am going to backslide in like 10 minutes. <laughs> if he knocks on the door, I'm in so much trouble. Like, I don't want him here. What am I going to do? What am I going to say to him when he answers the door? You know, I'm, and I'm making a speech in my head that I know I'm never going to give him. So in my, my head, the speech went like, hey, so I, I'm a Christian can't go with you. You're bad. I'm good. Don't want to die. Okay, so I can't. And I'm, I'm so nervous. I was physically shaking when I went to the door because I, I love this guy. Door opens. And by the way, he's a, he was a 250-pound linebacker. And he's standing in the door, fills the whole door, and he looks down at me and he goes, hey, I heard you were back in town. I said, yeah. Hey, his name's Alan. I say, hey, Alan. I say, yeah, man, what's up? He goes, he goes, hey, before you say anything, he goes, I got to tell you something. I said, what? He goes, since you've been gone, I became a Christian. I didn't even want to come over here this morning and see you because I knew you'd make me backslide. <laughs> True story. He goes, you're the worst influence in my life I ever had. God woke me up this morning told me to come to your house and invite me to church, invite you to church, to come to church with me. He takes me to my church. That's the church where I gave my life. 
That's the church where I sowed my years. That's the church where we started a youth ministry and a movement. That's the church where I went on staff. It's where I served for 18 years. It was that moment in the waking up that got me to the moment standing here with you. Do you think I knew? Do you think I knew that I would be standing here with you tonight? Are you kidding me? I just went along the way. I just remember seeing Alan and I just woke up. Are you kidding me? I said, yeah, I got, I got saved too. He goes, quit lying to me. You know, what do you, I said, yeah, he takes me to church. I walk in, I walk in the front door. I look down at the front of this church and I see his brother. The last time I saw his brother, he was getting arrested on the, the steps of our high school uh, for selling drugs and going to jail. I said, is that your brother? He goes, yeah, he got saved too. And I'm just waking up and I'm like, wow. God is big. He goes, yeah, he's a fire chief now. He carries a badge and everything. Jesus is real. And I'm just, I'm just waking up. I'm just waking up. I'm just waking up. Some, so somebody here tonight, you're, you're waking up. Somebody here tonight is, is waking up. You, you have been trapped. You were chained. They're falling off. The, 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 the critics have been silenced. The door is opening. You didn't have to do any of the work because we were praying for you because you're tired, because you're beat up, because you're worn out. But God did the work. Okay, okay can I pray for you now? Okay, is there anyone in the room tonight that you're in such a, a difficult spot in your heart, your spirit, your mind is all bound up, your heart is broken, you're hiding things. Is there anybody here tonight, you just need the church to pray for you to get some doors open and some chains off, if that's you, stand to your feet right now. If that's you, I want you to stand to your feet. Come on, I wanna pray for some people. Thank you, thank you. Stand all the way up. Don't just stand up. If that's you, stand to your feet because we're gonna pray for you tonight. Anybody who wants this prayer, stand to your feet. And I wanna pray, I wanna pray for you. God's gonna get some stuff off of you tonight. This is going to be a Holy Spirit. It's not us. It's the gospel doing the work. Thank you all across the back row. Thank you, Jesus. About 50 of you, 60, 80 of you now. All right, come on, church. Now, everybody, with everybody who is standing, put your hands in the air. And everybody, put your hands in the air. Now, the rest of you stand up. I want you to see them. Put a hand on their shoulder. Thank you. Put a hand on their shoulder. And what I want you to do right now is I want you to begin to pray for them right now. I want you to begin out loud with your voice. Somebody just, just begin to pray for their situation. Begin to pray that God sets them free, that God walks them out of the cell and the chains fall off. Come on, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we pray for these people right now. They need the church to pray. Father, we come to you and we're asking you tonight in their midnight moment that yesterday would be over and tomorrow would begin right now. Jesus, we're asking you that as the darkness was set in in the last few hours, the midnight moment says now the light begins to come and the day begins to break. Jesus, I pray tonight that you would anoint them and bless them and strengthen them. Lord, we speak life into their heart. We speak life into their spirit. Lord, we pray to their thoughts that have given up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Just give in to Jesus because Jesus has a, a plan for you. God's got a plan for you. Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And the church was praying to God for you. Lord, we lift you up in your discouragement. We lift you up in your despair. We lift you up in your humiliation. We lift you up in your hidden sin. We lift you up in your, uh, your suicidal thoughts. Let the spirit of the living God come right now and release you from those chains and bring you from the back prison, release you from the guards and walk you into the light. Jesus, 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 I pray 
pray they're waking up right now. Come on. You are waking up to what God is doing. You are waking up to the will and the plan of God. You are waking up. God's got a plan for your life in the name of Jesus. Lord, you come right now. You, you bless them. You anoint them. Father, I thank you for healing of their heart. I thank you for healing of their mind and their spirit. Lord, tonight, their discouragement and their depression. Lord, let the life, the life of Jesus fill them up tonight. The life of Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Church Untitled podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on our latest messages. For more about what's happening in our community, follow us on social media or visit us at churchuntitled.com.